0: I'm Robert Schertzer, Clinical Associate Professor, UBC Ophthalmology and Visual Sciences, and we're talking about glaucoma for September 7th, 2009, with Cindy Hutnick, Clinical Associate Professor of Ophthalmology and Pathology at the University of Western Ontario IVI Institute. In this episode, we discuss how best to use central corneal thickness when evaluating patients with glaucoma. Please Check the show notes for the podcast for references. Follow me on Twitter, where I am, Rob Schertzer, and on my blog at rob.com where I cover glaucoma, health, and technology topics. Welcome, Cindy, to our episode of Talking About Glaucoma.
1: Oh, well, thank you, Rob. Uh, it's an honor to be here.
0: I want to propose a scenario. This is something that happens in my office quite often. A patient gets referred in. Uh, for a glaucoma assessment, and included in the referral is the patient's corrected pressure when uh, measuring pachymetry is this. And, uh, let's just talk about that. I, I, I have my way of approaching that. And I'd like to hear yours because of the study that I know you did a number mm-hmm. of years back on CCT.
1: I think a few years ago this really was a hot topic. I think the ocular hypertension treatment study brought to life that the corneal thickness could have an influence on the intraocular pressure. And it went so far to say that thicker corneas may have a protective effect and thinner corneas may be detrimental. And that the reason behind that was that we were not getting true intraocular pressure measurements. So the idea was if the cornea was thick, the true interoctor pressure was higher. And if the corneas were thin, are, or lower than what you're measuring, if the corneas were thin, then the true intraocular pressure was actually higher. So people started generating nomograms to try to correct the intraocular pressure, <clears throat> and many people were actually providing what were called corrected or altered intraocular pressures rather than true pressures. Right.
0: And those original nomograms, they were they were linear, and if you started getting too far to one side, thin or too thick, the numbers just didn't make sense, they'd, be, they'd reach infinite.
1: Absolutely. Sort of In fact, what we did, we were noticing that there were a number of different nomograms. And the first thing that struck me, Rob, when we did our study was that they all had different correction factors. The fudge factor, so to speak, was different. So the researcher in me said, how can that be? Is it that there's different populations of people? Is it the fact that they were measuring central corneal thickness different and applanating different? So what we did is we had a medical student come and spend two weeks with me, and it was a very simple hypothesis. If you use the most common nomogram, in fact, the nomogram that has actually been built into some machines that you can purchase to do this for you, the assumption was that if the cornea got thin enough, the intraocular pressure should fall to zero. And we know through our LASIK buddies and, and colleagues that um, intraocular pressure never falls to zero no matter how thin the cornea gets. There's always some intraocular pressure. So our simple hypothesis was that the um, nomogram should not be linear, but should be nonlinear. There was a non-linear association between intraocular pressure and central corneal thickness. So what we did is we just took a subset of my patients. We measured their intraocular pressures by applanation. We measured their intraocular pressures by tonal pen, because even at the time in the refractive world, people were suggesting that the tonal pen was actually more accurate than Goldman applanation tonometry because it was less dependent upon central corneal thickness. And basically what we found was that a nonlinear relationship could be obtained. And sure enough, at thicker corneas and medium corneas, the correlation between the older linear nomograms and our nomogram was, was very um, similar, very concurrent. But at thinner corneas, what we found was that the pressure we're measuring by applanation probably is very close to what the true intraocular pressure is. So meaning that when you're measuring a pressure of 14 in an eye that has a thin cornea, the true intraocular pressure was probably very close to 14. It wasn't that it was really 25 and that you were mismeasuring it. So that led us to believe that there's something about a thin corneal scleral coat, independent of the funge factor, that was putting these patients at risk for glaucoma.
0: Right. So now when it comes to correcting the pressure, uh, do you use your nomogram? or Do you look at other <laughs> things aside from just the pressure?
1: Excellent, like how do you question. That C-C-T? Excellent question. Excellent question. I think what we came to terms was the nomogram basically showed us that um, probably the true relationship between Goldmann applanation tonometry, corneal thickness, and the true intraocular pressure will never be known. I think it's actually very complicated, and there's no current device that will allow you to know accurately what you're doing. So what we decided was to separate the two as independent risk factors. So when, when I'm asking for referrals from general ophthalmologists and optometrists, I'm asking actually asking them for Goldman applanation, tonometric intraocular pressures, period. Right. And then I'm also asking or doing myself pachymetry, period. Okay. And so you, I, you
0: don't get the referrals that just say the corrected value because I'm no, getting some where it's no. just the corrected value and I don't know what the Goldman
1: applanation exactly. means. And I think that's actually dangerous because we, when we're trying to manage these patients, we don't really know what the untreated intraocular pressure is. And I think the danger there is where you're not really getting a good assessment of the patient. I actually, in my feeling is you're actually putting the patient at risk by trying to correct something when you don't really know what to correct it by. So I view certainly central corneal thickness as a risk factor, independent of what the intraocular pressure is and and rob our nomogram shows us there probably is some relationship there's no question there probably is some some relationship so that the true pressure inside of an eye with a thick cornea probably is lower but I, I ask and i also in my own mind separate the two because i don't think you really can know what you're dealing with when you try to correct the pressures
0: right. so the, the the basic take-home message with that is if the patient's cornea is thin, there's something else with their eye that makes them more susceptible to glaucoma damage. It's not purely a correction factor for
1: the pressure. Exactly. And, you know, that's very intriguing because you can come up with all different scenarios of what's going on with compliance of the lamina cobrosa. So, again, the researchy part of it itself is very intriguing. But I think the clinical part is also very important because, as I say, there are some commercial instruments now that actually generate corrected interocular pressures. And that's what the machine spits out to the ophthalmologist. And not knowing that no one really knows what the correct nomogram is can actually cause that ophthalmologist to inadvertently not be doing a good job.
0: Related then, too, to to central corneal thickness, have you had any experience with the Pascal type of tonometer and how that would be in terms of measuring pressure? independent of cornflakes.
1: Well, I was going to answer my question with the question, have you? But yes, you know, being at a research academic center, we did have the Pascal on on trial for a while. And um, have you had experience with Pascal?
0: I have it in a box, and I haven't been able to find the right bolts to mount it. I bought it last year after attending a conference, and some people really felt that is the true pressure.
1: Yeah, and I have to say, if you look at the research data behind it, I would say it probably is. But I think in a busy practice, it's, again, very difficult to do. I, the way I see it is it, it, when we trialed it for a while, it was more of a research instrument just because of it's it's a more tedious thing to do. Goldman mm-hmm. applination Tonometry, if you get good at it, takes a couple seconds. So, um, this is more labor-intensive, but one would argue... it's worth it if you're doing a better job. But certainly the research behind it has support, and that's what probably drew you to buy it, that you're probably at least a little bit closer to what's really going on in there. But there's no question it's a little bit more technically challenging for both you and the patient, which I'm not sure many ophthalmologists would would want to embark upon that.
0: So my, my current use of central corneal thickness is if the patient's cornea is thin, then I just think of them as being at higher risk. Uh, progression, Mm -hmm. whereas if it's thick they're at less of a risk of progression but I don't Mm -hmm. actually do a numerical correction. That's sort of what you're doing?
1: I think that's bang on and I think um, something very important you're also um, saying with that statement is it's all about a balance of risk factors just because a patient has a thin cornea doesn't mean they have glaucoma you have to look at the patient as a whole not just as an eyeball and um, you have to develop a risk factor profile and that the Central corneal thickness is just one of several possible risk factors.
0: When it does come to the central corneal thickness, what number are you using as the number for when it's thin and when it's thick?
1: Uh, excellent. In fact, what I actually do, Rob, on my charts, and the residents will tell you that I may be kind of crazy, I actually, when I put my list of diagnoses, I will actually put thicker cornea or thinner cornea. Um, I go a little bit by what the ocular hypertension treatment study said, even though I realized that just has to deal with ocular hypertension. You know, you really can't. You have to be careful not to translate messages from there to a normal tension glaucoma patient, if you know what I'm saying.
0: So there we're getting at when a patient is said to develop glaucoma as opposed to when they have glaucoma or risk of progressing.
1: Exactly. We have to be very cautious when we do that. But in general, when the medical student came and analyzed my own practice, My nomogram was, so I had a distribution of central corneal thicknesses within my own practice, 590 um, and higher, I consider thick, and about 520 or lower, I consider thin. So in my practice, between 520 and, and 590, I would consider more or less within what we call the average zone. So you've
0: taken that ocular hypertension treatment? value of 555, that's right in the middle of those yes. two numbers.
1: Yes, and in my own practice it was amazing, it, it more more or less did mirror that. And that's something interesting doctors out there can do. I know Section 5 of, of our Royal College, these are kind of like practice audits, credits you can get, and this was a really simple study we did. We, we basically had a whole, we took just a bunch of patients, doesn't matter, you can even do this with 20 patients in your own practice. Um, look at their central corneal thickness so you can almost within your own practice get an idea of how many of your patients are on the thin side and thick side and it was really quite um, reassuring to generate my own um, Belker to see how my patients coincided with other Caucasian London Ontario is mainly Caucasian patients and as you know being out in Vancouver you probably get a distribution of different um, races and and the the central corneal thickness can be dependent upon um, the ethnic background as well. So it was a neat little thing, and if you do it in your own practice, you can get Section 5 credits for it. That's
0: great, because that's worth two credits for every hour.
1: Absolutely.
0: It's been lovely chatting with you. It's always nice talking with you, and thanks for being here today.
1: Well, thank you, Rob. You have a future career as a television talk show host.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's our show for today. Be sure to subscribe to this series so that you will receive each episode as I produce them. Sometimes I get bogged down with my family commitments, clinical work, or carried away with my blog or Twitter, but still greatly enjoy producing Talking About Glaucoma when time permits. Talking About Glaucoma is a non podcast that I produce once or twice each month as time permits, in AAC format that includes chapter markers, and in MP3 format that does not. I am the Director of the West Coast Glaucoma Centre in Vancouver and Clinical Associate Professor of Ophthalmology and Visual Sciences at the University of British Columbia. Please send comments or suggestions to podcast at iguy.org. That's podcast at iguy.org. And follow me on Twitter where I am Rob Schertzer. Also, check out my work website at westcoastglaucoma.com and my glaucoma health and technology blog at wholelotarob.com. Please help detect and treat glaucoma by keeping informed.